Well, good morning again. My name is Jeff Cady. This is Stuart Voller. Stu took the question about giving and tithing uh, that one of you submitted, and maybe a couple of you submitted, and he chose that one, and you had way too much material. Still do. And he still does. And he said, hey, what about a second week? And I'm like, yeah, what about a second week? So he's put this out on the table as you come in and out. Um, there's a lot of information on here. If you're interested in the topic, it goes a little bit deeper than the typical, you know, few verses that you might find. This would be a great resource for you. A lot of good, good information here. Uh, Stuart, you're going to preach part two, and then you're going to invite me to come up to close in prayer. Yeah, we'll the see how <laughs> That's how the first service went. The first service, he was supposed to give me some time at the end, and at 10.03, he said, sorry, Pastor. Go for it. Yeah, well, every preacher, you know, we're going to tell you what we're going to preach, and then we're going to preach it, and then we're going to tell you what we told you, and, and then we're going to, and then we're going to spend 20 minutes closing. So, you, just, you know how that goes, right? I am far more a teacher at heart than I am uh, a preacher, so I find this difficult, but... Um, I do want to thank you for the opportunity of being able to study out this topic because it has been uh, not only a blessing to myself, but it's also been a challenge to us, and it's evoked some conversations that my wife and I have had as far as how to live more of a life of generosity. And, and I, want to, I want to differentiate this morning between giving and generosity because giving is just a portion. It's an aspect of a generous life. And this morning, we aren't going to talk about giving. We're going to talk about God's goal for us, which is to be Christ-like. In other words, to be generous. Generous in our life. And this extends beyond money. I, I call it the three T's. The generosity with time, talent, and treasure. The time God's given to me the talents he's provided for me and the treasure that he's provided for me. And so we're going to talk about that. And, and rather than do a topical this morning, we're going to get into a passage. And so I want to invite you to, to open your Bibles up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. And I want to start with the end real quick. In, verse, in chapter 9, verse 15 Paul says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's what we sang about this morning. We sang about his indescribable gift. I love how God orchestrates a, a flow in worship services from whether it was this morning the challenge to if God's calling you, be willing to follow, to the message now, which is if God's challenging you to be generous, be willing to do it to trust him to do it. And so this morning we're going to talk about the topic of generosity. And, and to do that, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And what Paul's doing here, just to lay the background of this passage, is he's encouraging the Corinthians because about a year prior to this, they had seen a need in the Jews in, in, in Jerusalem who had come to Christ who are now dealing with poverty. And we don't know exactly what that reason was, whether it was severe persecution or whether it was because they had 
literally been abandoned by their own Hebrew brothers and sisters and maybe couldn't even find work anymore. But they find themselves in, in a place where they are in poverty, and so they have they committed that they were going to, to be generous. And it's really interesting. So if we, if we go back, and I want to I tie in last week to this week so that we understand this. Generosity in the New Testament stems from everything in the Old Testament. In fact, what we're going to see in this passage is two key observations that Paul makes come directly out of the scriptures we looked at last week. And so what we saw in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 was two worldviews, a worldview in which God is creator, therefore he has the authority, he is responsible for it, and all things were made for him, and then Genesis 3, where Satan says, you can be like God, and in that instance, man believes he then has the authority, and all things are created for him. And so this is put against each other, and then we have all of this Old Testament passage throughout throughout the Pentateuch in which God, this exodus, which is a picture of salvation, God brings his people out of bondage, and he's going to take them to a promised land. You see how that picture salvation? And in the middle of all of this process, he takes them to Mount Sinai, and he gives them a law. And that is a picture of God writing a new law on the hearts of his believers today. So all of this that we look at in the New Testament is foundationally built off of what we read in the Old Testament. And so we pick up in this discourse of Paul's in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And what I want us to see is this first observation is that that uh, generosity is truly a privilege. And so we read here in this passage, and and I'm just going to point out the verses that support this this morning as we look at these observations. In verse 3, we see that Paul says that he's testifying according to their ability and beyond their ability. They gave of their own accord. And now what he's doing is he's encouraging the Corinthians to fulfill their commitment by using the example of the Macedonian church and how they gave to, to the Hebrews that were poor in Jerusalem. And he says, so these, these uh, Macedonians, they gave of their own accord, literally, verse 4, begging us for the opportunity to be generous. That's amazing. Is it? I mean, that just pulls at the strings of my heart when I read that. And then Paul points to the reason that they saw generosity as a privilege in verse 5 where he says this. We were shocked, basically. This was not what we expected. We didn't expect this. But the reason they did this was because they first gave themselves to God and then they gave themselves to others. And so what Paul is telling us is the natural outpouring of generosity comes from a heart that is committed first to God and then to others. And what I want us to understand from this is, again, I want us to step back from giving, okay? Especially in the context of the church. Because this isn't a message, and this hasn't been a series on giving in the church. This is a message about understanding who Christ is and who God is. 
He is a generous God. When we were found in sin and in trespass, he's encouraging the Corinthians to, to understand here. And so then he begins, he moves from this into the posture of the heart, which is the second observation that we see in this passage. And so we pick up in verse 7 where he says this, Just as you abound in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnest, and in the love we inspired in you, see to it that you abound in this gracious work also. And this is, this is where he begins the first of what, what he's going to give us is three different contrasts in this passage. And in verse 8 and 9, he contrasts two things. He says, I am not speaking this as a command. And then he turns around and he says, but you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And so what his contrast here is this. He says, your generosity is not a matter of compliance. It's a matter of Christ-likeness. And he says, being generous is really a personification of who Christ really is. And then it's really amazing to me because he uses what is typically the benediction, how he closes every letter, and he uses it in light of generosity right here. And he says, May you, you, if I say this, you'll, you'll recognize this at the end of his letters. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be upon you, right? And that's exactly what he puts right here in this verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what he's really saying is this. He's saying grace bestowed results in grace expressed. Because you've received the grace of God extend the grace of God to the lives of those around you. And it's really amazing to me as I, as I read through this because what I want us to understand here is God isn't pitting grace against commands. So sometimes, sometimes what happens is we get the idea of grace and commands and we think, oh, it's different ways in which we approach God. And we kind of look at it like the Old Testament and the New Testament and we approach God differently. But what he's saying here is this. Faith and obedience are not two distinct things because behind every command is a promise of God at its heart and core. And so as I grow in obedience to God... I'm learning to be, it's not that I'm learning to be more submissive. As I grow in my obedience, I'm growing my faith. And so what he's telling me is basic, is the idea is this. As I learn to trust God, I am then willing to obey God because I understand he has me. So often we mysticize obedience and we say, when we kind of put it out there like it's this idea that, you know, that we need to just learn how to be more submissive and we need to, at the core of struggling with obedience is struggling with trust. Trust in the one who promises and provides the command. Trust to obey. He's got it. And so we learn here that the right posture of my heart is to respond sacrificially to Christ when I see others in need. And it reminded me as I was studying through this of the words of Christ. If it means my sacrifice, I'm willing. 
your will be done. Which leads us to our third observation from this passage, and that is the precedent of generosity. And again, we see another contrast, and so we pick that up in verses 11 and 12. And Paul says this, but now finish doing what you were so ready to desire. And here we see this, pre- this precedent of it's a matter of attitude. They desired it, okay? So he says, you desired to do this, but then here's the contrast. Verse 12, and he says this, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he doesn't have. And so we see this contrast right here of generosity is a matter of attitude, not in a matter of an amount. And the precedent is, is, is powerful because in later on here in verse 15, he quotes, and here we get our first reference back to the Old Testament, he quotes... Deuteronomy 15, and and Deuteronomy 15 is talking about when the nation Israel is out in the wilderness and they don't have any food. And God provides quail at night and he provides manna in the morning and they come out of their tents in the morning and the dew dries up and they see this white stuff all over on the ground. And they're like, what is this? And Moses says, it's bread from heaven. And then he tells them, go out as you are able and gather up as much of it as you can and bring it back here and we will distribute it to the nation. And Moses was told that each individual was supposed to get an omer. And so they all went out as they were able. And some people were younger, maybe more vibrant, not like me, and they were able to get a whole bunch of manna. And some people were less able and they weren't able to bring in much. But the idea here is when they came together, those that gathered more didn't say, well, look what I was able to provide. They just put it together and then it was measured out. One omer per person. And what we find out in Deuteronomy 15 was when they got done measuring out what was gathered, it was perfect to the person for the omer. That's amazing. And so what what Paul is explaining to us here in this precedent of generosity is if I give generously as God calls me to do and each one of us does it, it will be perfect for the measure of the need. And it's not just with the church, it's with the community, it's with our neighbors, it's wherever we go. It's in everything I do. If I understand, it's a matter of attitude, not a matter of amount. And it's, it's interesting to me because, so our son is right now on the road, he's heading down to Missouri, he's going to a camp that is put on by Worldview Academy, and the idea behind the, this camp is it's for uh, young people ages 13 to 19, and they go down, and what they do is they basically talk about the two worldviews that are out there and what these young people are going to have to face as they get in, out into the, into the world and they get into a working environment and, and all these things. And so last night I was reading World Religions and all this stuff. The, the author was talking about the New Age movement And in the New Age movement, he was talking about the leading proponent of this New Age movement who has recently written a book, and the title of the book is, You Can Be Like God. 
and it refutes Christianity and the principles of God. That's amazing to me. What I found from it was, okay, I found a little bit of um, acknowledgement that maybe I'm not just seeing something in the text that nobody else is seeing. Because here are people who don't believe God that are pulling these things out and saying, oh, there's a whole worldview that stems from Genesis 3 in the fall. That is contrary to who God is. And so we learn not only of the precedent for generosity, but then we learn about the principle of generosity. And we pick that up now. We're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to skip this. There's a delegation that Paul kind of takes a little bit of a sidestep here. And he talks about a delegation. Titus is going to head this up. And they're going to come and they're going to collect the, the monies and they're going to take it to Jerusalem. We're going to skip that. We're going to continue back on the discourse. And so we're going to jump to chapter 9 in verse 6. And what we see here is Paul is saying, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And the idea here, if you look at the literal translation, what he is saying is this, he who sows with blessings will also reap with blessings. And so Paul is saying, every time I hold back for myself, it grows my capacity to live like Genesis 3. I will be like God. But every time I am generous towards other, it, it grows my capacity to live like Genesis 1, in which God said, I give you everything. Israel understood, and we saw last week, that the tithe and the Sabbath, they're uniquely tied together because they point to creation, and creation says, I have, compl- I have provided everything. And they understood that, um, that when they were possessing a land that was owned by God and provided for them just to live on. It wasn't theirs. And so the system was set up. And what we see in this passage is, is Paul lays out this idea, um, it's, it's a paraphrase of the Old Testament where it talks about the Sabbath year and forgiving debts. And in this passage that Paul references here in this passage, the concept was this. As a person was indebted, if they were, they were poor or they were indebted to a Hebrew, on the seventh year they were to be forgiven of their debt and everything was to be returned back to the way it was originally distributed. And the idea behind that was because it was all God's and God provided it. And so he was returning it back. And he makes this statement in, in that passage, and he says this, so when you release them, that is the person who has sold themselves into servitude or is poor in, amongst you, and you forgive them their debt, don't send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and the Lord your God redeemed you. And so the idea Paul is communicating to believers is this. I too was once a slave, not in Egypt, but in sin. And the Lord God has redeemed me. And so what he expresses here is that forgiving debt and providing for the needs of others wasn't a seven-year practice 
For the believer today, it's a daily practice. Every day, because of what I've received, I do this. I live this way. At the core of generosity is the principle, it's not mine, it's ours. A couple of weeks ago, we had a graduation graduation party for Trey, and my wife um, borrowed some some uh, table centerpieces from a lady. Some of them were brand new. They were literally in their plastic still. And after we recovered from the, and if you've ever had one of those, uh, hosted one of those, you know what I'm talking about. After we recovered from the graduation, uh, my wife went to take back those centerpieces to the lady. And she, she said to the lady, Thank you so much for letting us borrow these. And the lady, without even looking at them, without counting them, without looking to see what kind of condition they were in or anything, made this statement to my wife. She said, they're not mine, they're ours. My wife said that, it just landed on her, and she hasn't forgotten it since. The idea that everything I have is not mine, it's ours. And, and the expression of it, whether it's there's a need in my community or there's a need where I'm at work or there's a need in my church and it's not, fina- not always necessarily financially. Maybe they need helpers, they need workers. And I, am I willing to be generous with my time and my talents? Last week we talked about God didn't give the tithe because he needed it. God gave the tithe because he knew we needed it. He knew, he understood that in my heart is the propensity towards the wrong worldview. I could be like God. And so he sets up this system, this beautiful system. And why does he do that? Because when he brings the nation Israel to Mount Sinai, the first thing he tells them is, you are going to be a priesthood for all the nations in the world. And then he writes a new law for them. And it's a picture of what he's telling me. Stuart, you can be a priesthood for all the people that I place in your life. A mediator for you to bring them to me and me to them. And I want you to do the same. And generosity grows that in this principle of generosity that we see here in this passage. It, it, it grows the idea that my time, my talents, and my treasures, they're not mine at the core. And just the fact that I use the word my with all three of them means I struggle with understanding it. They're his. And that brings us to our final observation this morning, which is the product of generosity. And this is where I think it's just, it just, he, Paul just lands this so great. In verses 10 and 11, he says this, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase, here it is, the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. And so what he says is this. 
God will provide in your generosity a harvest of righteousness that produces gratitude to God. And I immediately, when I read this, I thought of the passage that says, let your light so shine before men that they will see your Father in heaven that, or they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And this isn't talking about believers. This is talking about non-believers who see my light in the world and they, without recognizing it, give thanks and praise to the God above. That is amazing. And that's what generosity can do in our world today because it's so upside down with what the world believes and how they live. Mine and get mine and get me. And generosity, it challenges the heart of that. And it says, no, it's not mine. It's ours. And I'm a vessel. And there is one who has provided it. And I want to I tell you who he is. Right thinking leads to right living. And you've heard me say that over and over and over again if you've been in our uh, college and career because I park on that all the time. And I want to bring two last thoughts here quickly before, we ask Jeff, before I ask Jeff to come up. And the two thoughts are this. As we talk about generosity, I want to encourage you if you're married this morning to have a conversation with your spouse. And, and the conversation I want to encourage you to have is, is, what does it look like? Because I understand that God works differently in my heart than in my spouse's heart. And I don't want my spouse to be hindered if, if they are burdened to act in generosity and, and, to be, and to hinder that, the work of the Holy Spirit, because they need to come back and check to see how does it fit? How does it work? So have, a, have a, a wrestle with this. Have a conversation with this. Because if you earnestly love your spouse, you will want God to have the freedom to lead them and to grow their faith and not have to be worried about that checking with you to see whether it fits into your plans. So I want to encourage you with that. And the second one that I was really challenged with this was this idea that a tithe, the Israelites set aside a tithe for the purpose of celebrating what God had done. That's really powerful to think about it. Everything that the, that the Hebrews did was to remember, remember, remember. Remember what I did. Remember how I passed over. Remember how I freed you and led you out of Egypt. Remember how I led you in the wilderness, the Feast of Booths. Remember how I provided for you when you first crossed over into the land of Canaan, the first fruits. All of these celebrations were to remember. And I was challenged because I, this one thought was confronted me like, man, I celebrate a lot of things. I celebrate birthdays, anniversaries, graduations. You know, we try and celebrate the birth of Christ as much as we can and focus on that at Christmas time. We try and celebrate um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ ice cream. And, and when my family was shocked at my, my pronunciation or my, my announcement of this and asked why, I said, because I got a chance to share the gospel with someone today. How well do I celebrate, really celebrate, things that have eternal value 
because I had a chance to minister to somebody today or counsel them or come alongside of somebody who's hurting and just be there and listen. God used me. And that's what I was challenged with personally. And so Jeff, I want to invite you to come on up here. You have one minute. I told him I would cut. Kind of hard to get it all in, isn't it? It's very hard. A little difficult. So people say to me, Jeff, you haven't preached on giving in a long time. You, you, you never preached on giving. Why don't you preach on giving? But I preach on generosity. Generosity. Because he said, you said you, you didn't want to preach on, this isn't a series about giving. And you also said something about a check mark. We were just standing back there before the service. What were you talking about? A check mark. Oftentimes, when we, when we think of giving, we can relegate giving to a habit in which I make a check mark for my spirituality. Like, I'm okay now because I gave. But it's, it's a lifestyle. It's a pattern. And the, and the goal of it isn't have I obeyed? The goal of it is, does the way I give or do, is the way I'm generous drive me to greater faith in the one who's provided it all? But if I just take my income and I just multiply it by 0 0.10 and then I write out a check for that amount, I'm good, right? Again, it relegates, <laughs> it, 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 rel it can be relegated to a habit. Yeah. And then, and then the problem with that is, and I love I've had these conversations with Bo, with as far as a lifestyle of worship. The crux of a lifestyle of worship is engaging the mind in what I'm doing. It, it's acknowledging who God is and who I am. And often, writing a check and, and assigning a percentage, I don't engage anything there. I'm not, en I'm not engaging my heart. I'm not engaging my intellect, my emotion, my will. It's just, it's rote. It's just a, it's just a habit. And, and I believe that God is desiring something greater at the foundation of giving, and that is the, gen the lifestyle of Christ, which is generous. So a bunch of church people laughed one time when I said to them, man, I love it when our people give sacrificially and give a lot. And they all laugh. They say, yeah, doesn't every pastor love that? And I said, no, no, that's not what I mean. I mean, I know that when the people in my church give, that God's going to bless them. They're going to be able to experience the blessing of God when we give. And they were still, they were still kind of laughing. But that's true. That's the, it's about the only reason I would want you all to be generous, big givers. It's because then you could experience God in your life when you give. That's, that's one of the ways that I experience. When I'm generous, when I'm generous with others, when I'm generous with a need that I see, then God usually immediately gives me the satisfaction of being generous. A harvest of righteousness. Harvest of righteousness, yeah. Yeah. So let me say this. If you're not giving at all to the church, and, they, and again, all these churches are all different around the world. And so funding is all different. There is no one right way. But if what you see happening at your church is something that you want to get behind, 
then, then give to that. Then give to that. And I would challenge you that if you're not giving it all and you say, well, I can't afford it, then just give 1%. To start. You could afford 1%. Just 1%. Seriously. And give cheerfully. And then after a couple months, you realize, oh, I, I can give 1%. I, I really haven't even missed it. In fact, I'm, I actually feel a little bit better. Well, give, then give two. And just let it go. Let it go from there. And give three. And give four. Because it's not about the amount. It's about the heart. Amen. Jesus, when he, used the, when he used the term tenth in the Gospels, he used it when he was ripping on the religious leaders because they gave a tenth of this and they gave a tenth of that. But he said, Isaiah was right when he wrote about you that your hearts are far from me. You give your tenths, but your hearts aren't anywhere near me. So let's have our hearts close to God. And the best way to do that is actually to give out of generosity. When we give out of giving, we can give a tenth and our heart isn't even involved. But when we give out of generosity, our heart's always engaged. And again, I, God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our money. But we release the grip of greed on our, on our, on our lives when we engage in generosity. And we all want to be free of greed. And we all want to be blessed by God. So let's be generous with those that we see in our lives that have great need. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for Stu. I thank you for his preparation and study for this, uh, these two weeks and, and just the challenge that he's given to us to be generous people. And Lord, as, as he shared with us, I don't remember if it was this week or last, but that Jesus in his crucifixion gave it all. And he's the exemplar. He's the model of generosity by giving sacrificially so that others could be blessed. And so, Lord, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that you would help all of us this week to be generous. Show us, Lord, show us areas where we can be helpful and where we can give, not just of our money, but of our time and our passion and our care, our attention, our conversation, our presence. God, help us to be generous people. In Jesus' name, amen.